Like I said, we're going to be uh, starting in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, for those who have been with us before, and maybe you've been with us, some of you have been with us for many years, uh, today we're going to start something different for the scripture reading. So we normally have had people stand and we do an alternate reading. Uh, we're actually not going to do that uh, for, for this series, which is going to take the whole year. Uh, so get used to it. <laughs> uh, but the reason being is that... Um, you know, some of the passages are going to be a little bit longer, but also uh, instead of us, you know, kind of, uh, I, I don't know, worrying about how we're going to sound to our neighbor, I really just want us to focus on reading the word of God. And so I'm going to read the scripture, but feel free to look it up. Uh, it's going to be projected behind me. We're going to read it in the ESV, but feel free to uh, get a pew Bible or if you brought a Bible app or your own Bible. And it's going to be uh, Mark chapter one, verses one through 13. Again, it's the, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. So again, I'll be reading the scripture for us today. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Was that weird for some of you not to stand? Did you want to stand? <laughs> well, thank you, friends, for joining us, uh, whether you're new or old. And uh, I'm excited to dive into the gospel of, of Mark together. And part of the reason why we're doing this, um, the, the, the whole series is called The Story of Jesus. And uh, the, the whole reason why we're doing it is because we, at Living Grace Ministry, we want to be a community of Christ, but we need to know who Christ is. And so um, it, it might seem kind of funny for us to spend a whole year uh, discovering who Christ is, because I think when you ask people, who is Jesus? I don't think many people are stumped by that. I think a lot of people have a lot of things to say. And in fact, uh, there's a church called City Life Church in Seattle. Uh, they put up a website a number of years ago called Jesus Is, and it's still up today. Uh, but what it is, is it's just Jesus is blank. And basically, people can just type in whoever they think Jesus is. And they don't filter it. They don't censor it. Uh, so 
this is Christians, this is non-Christians, these are people of different faiths. They just chime in with who they think Jesus is. And so uh, this is just a screenshot I took with my phone, uh, and it just, uh, like, like, the answers change over time. And so this is just one sampling on one page of who people think Jesus is. So you see, Jesus is John 3.16, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is awesome, Jesus is the comforter when life hurts, Jesus is my everything. Jesus is amazing, my life. I don't know how to describe that. That's some like smiley face like. Yeah. <laughs> amazing, my life, my superhero. Um, crossing the border for a better life. Ooh, getting kind of political there. Uh, Jesus is a la carte mythology. Shots fired. Uh, Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my hero. Jesus is misrepresented by the people who claim to know him best. And you see, uh, I, I spent like a good amount of time, probably more time than I, I probably should have, just kind of going through this website and reading people's answers to this Jesus is. It was very fascinating to me um, as a minister of the gospel uh, to see what people think about Jesus. And, you know, there's kind of like three categories of answers. You know, some people just were just trying to be funny. Uh, some people were trying to be provocative or to actually be, um, you know, sort of to debunk Christianity. And other people were trying to affirm their faith in Christ. And I wanted to show you one uh, answer that was, you know, very, you know, perhaps on the debunking side. Um, And so one person wrote, Jesus is non-existent. If you believe in him, you are an idiot and ignorant. So this was written by a Christian, obviously. Just kidding. (laughs) Obviously not, right? Um, This is an interesting response. And, and I, I want to get back to this in a second, but this kind of reminds me of uh, what, one of the things that I learned my very first day of uh, my gospel class in seminary. So, you know, training to be a minister, I had to take a whole class on the gospels. And on day one, one of the things we talked about is this idea that very often who we think Jesus is maybe says more about us than it does about who actually Jesus is. Let me say that again. Who we think Jesus is perhaps says more about us than who actually Jesus is. And so in other words, when we think about who Jesus is, we bring in much about ourselves, much of what we want, much of what we desire. And so going back to this, Jesus is non-existent. If you believe in him, you are an idiot and ignorant. Uh, this statement actually is very ironic because uh, they, they, they said, you know, if you believe in him, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> At least they didn't say you're an idiot, like Y-O-U-R. I always think that's funny when people are trying to, like, make fun of you on the Internet and they say you're an idiot, Y-O-U-R. It's hilarious to me. But um, this idea that you're, you're an idiot, you're, you're ignorant if you think Jesus is real when actually if you were to just do a little bit of digging, if you just did like a quick Wikipedia search on is Jesus real, you'll find that uh, very reputable scholars like Josephus and Tacitus, um, who are used by secular scholars all the time for everything when it comes to ancient history, they mention Jesus. And they mention Jesus very in line with the picture of Jesus you see in the Gospels. Of course, it's just a sketch, but the big details are there. And there are very, very few, very, very few scholars and historians who studied this time in history 
who don't believe that Jesus actually existed as a historical person. Right? There's a few, like a very vocal minority, you know, but you kind of get the feeling that those people have an agenda. But most reputable scholars are like, okay, there's just overwhelming evidence that there actually was a real person, Jesus. Now, who he was exactly, that is under some debate, right? But the fact that there was a Jesus. So this statement in and of itself that Jesus is non-existent, you're an idiot, you're ignorant. This in and of itself is, it's kind of ignorant, right? It's not based on real knowledge, right? It's based on what this person wants to believe. So what this person wants to believe is that there is no Jesus, right? Now, friends, uh, with with that same kind of thinking, um, I think that sometimes Christians are the same way. Who do we say Jesus is? When I say Jesus, you know, for some reason, I just had this this sort of urge to like do like a chant. When I say Jesus, you say Christ. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. (laughs) When I say Jesus, who do you say he is? Christ, Jesus, Christ. Uh, that would be fine. Um, but friends, uh, what are the kind of images that pop up? These are just, just some things that maybe some people think about Jesus or some of the pictures you see of Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. You know, the, the, the middle one, it's kind of hard to see, but Jesus looks really nice here. He's just kind of like has his arms open, like, come to me, my child. Come, and I will embrace you with a hug. And, and, and I will embrace you with you know, I don't know, cookies and tea. I don't know. He looks so nice, right? It's come in, come in. I want to love you. You know, this is a very common one, the, the one on the upper right here, of Jesus just holding, embracing the cute little lamb. You know, I, I looked up uh, uh, pictures of Jesus. This is probably one of the most common. There's lots of variations of this, right? Jesus with all kinds of cute lambs. You know, and sometimes he's kind of like just kind of nuzzling them to his face, you know, with their soft fur. And, you know, it's just so nice. You know, Jesus is so gentle. He's so loving. Um, Jesus is my special best friend. There's lots of Jesus is my best friend. Oftentimes you'll see Jesus, you know, holding a kid's hand. And uh, um, maybe my personal favorite in pop culture is Buddy Christ. So for those of you who don't know, this picture pops up every now and then. This is actually supposed to be a satire. It comes um, from a movie a, a, a few years back. Uh, the name escapes me for a second. Dogma, thank you. Yes. <laughs> so uh, what happens is the Catholic Church in this movie, it's a comedy, uh, but the Catholic Church decides that the, the crucifix, Jesus bloody on a cross, is just like too ghastly and, and just too polarizing for people. So they decide they're going to change the, the, the uh, iconic symbol for, for Jesus from the crucifix to Buddy Christ, right? And so Buddy Christ, he's your friend. He's not judging you, right? He's just on your side. And so they're like, hey, look, he's so friendly, right? So the, the caption here, this is just a, a, a meme, but Buddy Christ says things are going just fine, right? And friends, you know, some of these images that, that I, when we talk about Jesus, I'm not saying they're wrong, necessarily. You know, some of them are maybe just a little out of proportion. But do they perhaps say more about what we desire Jesus to be than what the Gospels actually say about Jesus? And I mentioned this last week, but part of the reason why we are going to read the Gospel of Mark in its entirety is because I think so few of us actually do it. Or when we do, we tend to either fast forward 
or to emphasize certain aspects of who Jesus is more than others. So let's just kind of dive into the the gospel of Mark here. Um, And it starts with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And even that statement, the beginning of the gospel, is kind of a loaded statement. And so for many of us, when we think about the gospel, nowadays there's all kinds of things about the gospel. The gospel has become kind of this buzzword for Christianity, right? I mean, I've read things and heard people say, if you are not a gospel-centered church, you're not a real church. You know, oh, we're we're a gospel-centered church here, right? Kind of implying that other people aren't. And it always made me wonder, what is the gospel? You know, and and I I would ask people, what is the gospel? If I were to ask you right now, which I'm not, but if I were to ask you right now, tell me, what is the gospel? What would you say? And and I think that there's this, this, this idea that you can sum up the gospel into one sentence. And oftentimes, friends, you know, let me know if this is similar to what you've heard. The gospel of Jesus Christ tends to kind of sound like this. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, that if we believe in him, we shall not perish but have eternal life. Someone even said, Jesus is John 3.16, right? Jesus is one verse of the Bible, right? I'm like, is that it? Is that it? Because if you actually read the Gospels, there's all this other stuff in there. All this other stuff. And Jesus dying on the cross is at the very end, as you would expect, right? Because it's the very end of his ministry, Don't get me wrong, very, very important part of his ministry, but it's not his entire ministry. What do you do with all the other stuff about who Jesus is? Is that also the good news? And I would argue yes. But to reduce Jesus to just one verse, you know, Jesus died for my sins. If I believe in it, then I will not die, but have eternal life. I think that unfortunately what that kind of does for some of us, the abuse of this, now don't get me wrong, I think that most, quote-unquote, gospel-centered churches would never recommend you do this. But I think that the abuses of this is that we take the gospel, that one verse, and we make it serve us. What do I mean by that? Again, remember, we're saying, are we making Jesus in our own image? Are we making Jesus who we want him to be? He's my comforter. He's my healer. He's my forgiver. He serves me. Again, friends, those things, he's our healer, our forgiver, our comforter, those aren't wrong. But is that the main focus of the Gospels when you actually read it through and through? Or are we making a Jesus in our own image, what we want to hear? You know what? If I screw up, no matter what I do, Jesus will forgive me. So I can live whatever life I want, and all I got to do is ask for, for, for forgiveness, and I get to go to heaven. I can do whatever I want. Not sure that that's what the gospel says. Because, friends, uh, it says the beginning of the gospel, which just in Greek means the good news. It's not a particularly Christian word. It was used all the time in the Greek world. Um, The gospel of Jesus the Christ, and by the way, Christ is not his last name, right? He's not Mr. Christ. Christ is a title. And what it means is the Messiah, the anointed one. Right? In biblical times, when you were going to crown a new king, the way you did it was you anointed their head with oil, saying the favor of God is on them. And this is the person who you now have to listen to. And so Jesus being the Christ, 
He was supposed to be a king to rule. That, that, that's a clue. And another clue is the beginning of the gospel. Where else is this used? For, for people in uh, biblical times, the word gospel would not have been foreign to them. They would not have read this and said, oh, this means that Jesus died for our sins, and if I believe in that, then I, I you know, will not perish and I'll have eternal life. By the way, friends, please do not misunderstand me. That is definitely true. But what I'm saying is the gospel of Jesus Christ is more than that. It is that, but it's so much more. And that statement in and of itself, it doesn't really make sense unless you understand the whole context of what a gospel is. And so I know maybe for some people, you know, you've been to churches where you're like, mm, it's making me really uncomfortable. But friends, I encourage you to stick with this for a little bit. Um, this idea of the gospel, where it was used in ancient times, was often in the context of like a military victory. And so uh, the, the word gospel, it's euangelion. It's the word where we get evangelism or evangelist. And so uh, somebody giving good news would be an evangelist or a herald, right? Like hark the herald, angels sing, right? Uh, the word euangelion, you can kind of see in there the, the root for our word angel, right? It means a herald, somebody who brings good news. Behold, I bring good news and good tidings of joy, right? They're a herald of good news. So you remember uh, the Battle of Marathon, it's a very famous story. There's a reason why people, like, they, they run 26.2 miles and, like, almost kill themselves <laughs> in honor of this victory, this great military victory, and they sent an evangelist. They sent a herald to run 26.2 miles to the city and say, we won, we won, and then he ran so fast, and it was so far that he died, according to legend, right? So everyone's like, this is such a great idea. Let's run 26.2 miles, right? But uh, anyways, <laughs> that would be an evangelist. And oftentimes, that's what the good news was. Hey, this military ruler, this king, won an important victory. Guess what? I have good news. You're free. You're free. Or guess what? I have good news. Now Octavian is your king. Octavian is the emperor. And so, friends, saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the promised king, the son of God. And then again, here we see a very loaded term, right? Now we understand this as Christians. We're like, oh, the Trinity, right? And friends, this is not wrong. Uh, but please do not misunderstand me. Jesus is the son of God in every sense of the case. But this is also a very clever thing because the way that people would have understood the son of God, they have heard this before. It's on their coins, uh, so do you remember the story where, where uh, Jesus is like, give me a coin. Whose likeness is on it? Caesar's. This is likely one of the coins he would have used, right? And what it says is, uh, it's kind of hard to see. It says Augustus Divi F. And what that stands for is Divi Filius. You know what that means? The son of the divine, the son of God. On all their coins that they carry, it says Caesar the son of God. The reason why is Augustus was uh, Julius Caesar's adopted son. And after Julius Caesar died, they deified him. So they believed that Caesar was a god. Of course, Romans, they had lots of gods, right? So he wasn't the god, but he was a god, right? And so 
um, when Augustus became emperor, that became one of his titles. He is the son of the divine Julius Caesar. He is, in other words, the son of a god. And so here we see here, just like a herald coming in and saying, hey, there's an important uh, uh, military victory. You have a new ruler. It is Jesus, the promised king, the son of God. Friends, make no mistake. This is a statement of revolution, right? Three different ways. You can count it three different ways. This is revolution. This is saying you have a new ruler, and his name is Jesus. So as we continue in here, it says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here the message is, prepare the way for the Lord. For the Lord, for God, for God himself. And friends, um, taken in the context of what we've been talking about, if Jesus is this coming king, if Jesus is, in a way, kind of the new emperor of the world, it doesn't really make sense for us to not prepare the way for him, right? Imagine that a king is coming. Imagine that a king is coming to your house. What does your house look like? What kind of clutter is there? You know? Who, what is parked in your driveway that might keep the king from coming? You've got to clear all of that. You've got to make a way for this king to come, right? And you're going to make that path as smooth as possible so that king can come in. And friends, I wonder, when we think about Jesus in his gospel, when we think about who Jesus is, do we prepare the way for him? Is it a revolution? Is it a revolution of who is fundamentally in charge of the world for us? So this is the thing, friends. This is why I wanted to begin this way. Because if you reduce the gospel just to Jesus died for my sins, so now I don't go to the bad place anymore. You can leave out the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying, friends? That is definitely true. But if you think that is only the gospel then you don't need to prepare your way. You understand what I'm saying? You can keep your way however you want it to be. You can live your life however you want to live your life and just conveniently put alongside your life this other good news. Oh, Jesus forgave me. I get to live whatever kind of life I want. I get to treat people however I want to treat them. I get to have whatever career I want. I get to be as selfish as I want. I get to be as mean as I want. I get to be as unforgiving as I want. I don't have to help the poor. I don't have to worry about what other people are doing. But you know what? The gospel is that Jesus forgives me. Do you see why that's important, friends? And why? This is how the gospel starts. It is a revolution. Jesus means to rule everything. And in this world, friends, this is not something you hear very often. Can we just go back to the pictures of Jesus that we have? <laughs> right here, Jesus serves us. Jesus is all about us. 
the good news, it revolves around us. Now, friends, make no mistake, it is good news for us. If Jesus reigns, he's going to put everything into rights. All the things that are jacked up in this world, he is going to fix. He is going to make it right. But at the same time, friends, he doesn't come to just make you comfortable. He doesn't come to just serve your needs, to serve your kingdom the way you want it to be. He comes to rule and reign, and that means revolution. That means you need to step down from your kingdom. You need to step down from the reins of your life. And you might need to rearrange some things for Jesus to fully come in. Look at what, Jesus, uh, what uh, John's message was, what, what it was about, uh, his ministry. It was about baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Wilderness is a, a, a common theme in uh, Mark chapter 1. You're going to see it many times. But here we see John, not in a very domesticated place, but in the wild. And John has a wild appearance. We're told that, that John, man, he, he looked like a crazy person. You know, he wasn't kind of an establishment-looking dude, you know? He wasn't prim and proper. He didn't come in a three-piece suit. You know, he looked crazy. He was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. You know, he probably didn't have his hair very carefully coiffed, right? But he came out saying, you need to repent for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, you're a sinner. There are ways in your life that are not the way that God wants it to be. For Jesus to fully come into your life, you're going to need to change some of that. You're going to need to repent, which means to turn around, right? There there are some people who, who like to say repentance means changing your mind. Yes, yes it does, but it's a little bit more than that. It's not just changing your mind. It's completely changing the direction of your life. In other words, what is repentance, friends? It's a revolution. It's a revolution. And this is one of the real hard things about church today. And this is one of the things that just myself as a pastor, I got to tell you, I really struggle with. Because I want people to like my message. I want people to like my church. I want a lot of people to come out. And I wonder, friends, I'm not really judging anyone else except for me, but if the Christian message today is you get to still be king of your life, you get to still be the emperor of your life, you get to determine how you're going to live, but Jesus can just come up alongside your kingdom and serve your kingdom. He'll make you feel better. He'll make you feel better. If you mess up, it's okay. He'll make you feel better. You don't actually have to change anything but he's going to forgive you and it's all going to be better. Buddy Jesus. Is that the gospel we're preaching? Or is the gospel we're preaching, hey, yo, whether you like it or not, this is a complete revolution. You're going to need to abdicate your throne. Jesus is coming to upend Caesar. By the way, friends, why did they kill Jesus? Did they kill Jesus? The Roman government killed Jesus because... The Jews were just a little jealous of him. Ah, he's so popular. Or did they kill him because they believed that he was trying to say he's the king? He's trying to say, I'm going to come and rule and reign. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like revolution. 
That sounds like you're trying to overthrow the way things are. And of course, Jesus was very clear. This isn't so political as it is. I have come to rule everything. And friends, first and foremost, he needs to rule and reign in our hearts. What are the areas of our life that aren't smoothed out? What are the ways in our life that we have obstacles to Jesus fully coming? What are the things that when we think about this idea that Jesus is coming to rule and reign everything, that we're like, hmm, I don't like that. I don't like that. I want to hold on to this. I want to hold on to this idea of what I get to do with my life. I have a dream. I have a dream of what my life is going to be. I have a dream of my relationships. I have a dream of my career. I have a dream of comfort. And I have a a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan, a 50-year plan. Friends, what does it mean to have a new king come in, upend everything, revolutionize everything? When we say, hey, you know what? I have a will, I have a plan, I have a kingdom. What does it mean for Jesus' kingdom to come here in the midst of that? It's challenging, isn't it? Right? And we're told that John was, was uh, declaring this. He was baptizing everyone. Um, that they were coming out to him. They were confessing their sins. And we're, we're, and we're told that John was very clear about this. You know, John had a, a very bold message. But John was also very humble. He said, after me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And here we get this Holy Spirit. And this is going to be a a very big theme of Scripture. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do? And and so with Jesus coming onto the scene, we're, we're told that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And so, friends, maybe we thought there was this big separation between heaven and earth. It was very clear here with the heavens being torn open, the spirit of God coming down upon Jesus. It is a way of saying heaven has come here on earth. The kingdom of heaven here. God wants to rule and reign here. And when it does, friends, this is why you you can't just think that saying Jesus is the son of God is the equivalent of saying Augustus is the son of Caesar. That the voice of God says, you are my beloved son. The one true God says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And then we get this really weird um, part of, of the story. Um, that you see more complete in some of the other Gospels. But we're told the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So right after this great moment, the Spirit affirms uh, uh, Jesus' identity, but then it drives him out into the wilderness. Why is that important, friends? We'll talk more about this in coming weeks. But just suffice it to say, the Spirit of God, because it is the Spirit of God, is meant to lead. And where does it lead Jesus? Where does it lead him? Into the wilderness. Where was John? He went out into the wilderness. Where did he call people out to? Where did people go to meet John and to prepare the way? In the wilderness. Wilderness is not a fun place. Wilderness is not a comfortable place. 
Wilderness is a place, at least in the context of John, is where people confronted their sins, where they were asked to confess their sins. And in doing that, the way was prepared for Jesus to come. Friends, John didn't say, hey, clean up your lives in the cities, then come out. He says, come out into the wild places. Come as you are and confess your sins. In other words, friends, for this God to rule and reign, it means coming exactly as you are. He wants to rule and reign over the messiness of your life. Sometimes these messages make us very uncomfortable because it seems so hard. It seems so challenging. We think, oh my gosh, I got to clean up my life. I have to be the one to make everything right and ready for Jesus to come. And there is an aspect of preparation, but so much of the preparation is come out into the wild places, into the discomfort of your life, and confess. Be honest about where you are in life. Friends, I know for me, um, on Sundays, so often... I've always been told to clean everything up. You know, I come to church and, you know, I put on my Sunday best, you know. I remember (laughs) learning from a very early age um, that when you come to church, you talk nicer than you normally do, you act nicer, you clean everything up. I remember there's this one time when my parents were taking me to church and uh, me and my brother, um, I forget what it was because this wasn't an uncommon thing, but we did something to like, piss my parents off. So they're like yelling at us, right? They're laying into us. And, and we're pulling into church and they're just yelling at us, screaming, like, you and your brother, like you never listen. What's wrong with you? Can you just do one thing that we ask you? Please, can you just do one thing? And then at that moment, like a gypsum name from the church, right? Like one of the, the deacons just like, like kind of pulls in front, right? And just like looks at my parents and waves. And then my parents, they, they, they were like yelling at us, right? They look over and just all of a sudden just, Oh, arigatou. Oh, hello. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh. Like what? What just happened? I was so confused. I was like, oh, okay. So that's what you do at church. That's what you do. All your junk, all the messed up stuff in your family, all the wildness of your family, just cover it up. Just cover it up. Just act like everything is going great. That's what you do at church. That's what you do before God. You know, for me, it's one of, it been one of the journeys for me as a pastor is realizing it is in the wildness where I meet God the most oftentimes because that is the real of my life. What happens when I try to clean up my life for this king, where I try to pretend, oh, Jesus, nothing to see here, you know? It's kind of like trying to clean up your room. I don't know if you ever did this. I used to do this when Erin uh, and I were dating, and she would come to my place, and I really didn't have time to clean up my whole room, so you know what I would do? I would just, like, um, put things in the closet and then just cover it with a sheet, Right? <laughs> And so, you know, she'd be like, hey, you know, what's in here? Don't go in there. Don't go in there. If she were to open up the door, she would just see like a big mound of stuff covered up with a sheet. Right? My apartment wasn't really clean. I just tried to like, you know, mask it so you wouldn't see the messiness. Friends, we can't do that with Jesus. You know, it's very interesting. In every single gospel, John the Baptist comes to prepare the way. It's in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
There's something very important about this. John, the wild man, John coming and saying, come and confess your sins. Come into the wild. Yes, Jesus is coming to overthrow. Jesus is coming to revolutionize. But friends, this is a revolution of love. This is a revolution of righteousness where Jesus wants to come and make your life right. There's a lot of wrong things in our life. And some of those things, yes, we selfishly want to hold on to. But there's a lot in my life, too, that I really want Jesus to put right. There's a lot of that stuff, a lot of my anxiety and fear, a lot of my stress, a lot of these things that I've been very ashamed as a pastor to admit that I have. You know, for those of you uh, who are here, uh, maybe for the first time, or if you haven't gotten to know me, I'm very honest about my journey. You know, and as a pastor, I, I really struggled when I started out as a youth pastor um, in Maryland. Um, I I've found through the stress of ministry that I was clinically depressed. You know, something that I tried to hide from people. Man, I'd come to church and I knew how to play the game. I knew how to do the, the, the Pastor Steve thing, you know. Hey, guys, it's me, Pastor Steve. Everything's fine. Everything's good. Buddy Jesus, right? I knew how to play the part. I knew how to act like everything was okay. Literally, the moment I would leave church, it was so exhausting to, to hide it. It's so exhausting to fake it. I go into my car and I just slump over like, oh. And then I go home and I drink. That's what I would do. Every Sunday, every week I would do that. And it wasn't until, really, I was forced to confront the good news. Jesus wants to change all of that in my life. But I need to confess my wildness. I need to confess my sin. I need to prepare, let him come into all of the messiness of life. And it's only through, that, through doing that that Jesus can truly be the king and Lord of my life. Friends, you don't need to clean it up before him. If your life is jacked up, if your life is messed up, if you're making mistakes now, you came to church, you dressed up really nice, you've been meeting all these people with a big smile on your face, but inside, man, you're a wreck. Friends, you've come to the right place. But Jesus wants to prepare the way in your wilderness. So friends, why don't we just take a moment um, Praise team, can you come up? And um, I, I know we're going to do the, uh, the whole communion thing, but just for a moment, um, can we just take a moment to come clean? I, I know for some of us, we're not used to this at church. Um, it, it, we're not used to confessing. We're used to hiding this stuff. But can we come clean and know that Jesus, he is a loving, forgiving king. He has come to revolutionize and to change everything, to put things to rights. But he, in his uh, revolution, he loves you. He forgives you. And there is room for you, friends. Will you make room for him? Will you make room for him to come into all that is in your life? So friends, I don't know what it is. But this is probably one of the most important questions that that can be asked of you when you come before God. What is bothering you? What is stressing you out? 
What has you up at night? What, what, what is worrying you? Let's just take a moment and just confess that. Just speak it out, friends. No filter. You don't have to clean it up for anyone. It can be wild and unkempt, just like John's beard, just like his appearance. You don't need to dress it up. Just come clean. Jesus wants to hear that. He has come to overcome all the things that separate us. He has come to forgive. He has come to rule and reign, to put everything to rights, to bring you true peace, to make your life reflect His glory so you can love like Him, so you can forgive like Him. Friends, you can come clean. You can just confess. You can just be who you are before Him. Precious God, I, I pray, Lord, for all of us, myself included, that we are reminded, Lord, of the good news that you have come not as just a supplement to our lives to make us feel better, but you have come to upend them. You have come to revolutionize them. You have come to rule and reign in everything. And Lord, we can come to you with our wildness. We can come to you with our sin. We can come to you with our imperfection. We can come to you with our anxiety, fear, our stresses, our worries, all the things that aren't quite cleaned up, God. We can come clean. And Lord, you can make us clean. You can come and rule and reign. It's going to take time, Lord. But we want to make room for you, Lord, today. We want to step aside and let you in, God. We want to make that path straight for you, God. So, Lord, may you come to my friends here, to those who maybe are hearing for the, for the first time, or maybe there's some who have heard messages like this before. They've been in church all their lives, but there's still something blocking them and keeping them from letting you fully reign. Lord Jesus, we want to drop those things, God. We want to empty ourselves and let you be fully God, fully Lord in everything. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.